Hi, friends, and welcome to the Dreamer Endurer podcast. I'm your host, Brianne Johnson. I designed this space to be a place that we can discuss dreaming big despite the setbacks and fears that come with it. I invite you to come along this journey with me as we embrace our stories and share our journeys. So let's dream big together and get intentional about making it happen. Friends, welcome back to the Dreamer Endure podcast. You are listening to episode 27, and today I'm interviewing author Drew Stedman, who wrote the book The Gospel According to Culture. I'm going to go ahead and start off and say that this episode is completely different than anything I've recorded, and I pray that it not only encourages you, but it challenges you. We talk about some tough subjects like self-actualization, cultural Christianity, humanism, social justice, the list goes on. But I really think you'll like this episode. A little bit more about Drew. Drew is the U.S. Director of the Antioch Movement. And Antioch is the church that we attend here in Waco. I think it's pretty clear from our conversation that you'll see how passionate Drew is about just creating the desire in people to make disciples and live a kingdom culture. As I dive into this episode, you'll get to hear a little bit more about Drew, who he is, his past, and what made him write this book. Before I get into this episode, I just want to tell you thank you if you've already left a review on our iTunes page. And if you haven't already, we would love if you took just a second to rate the podcast and subscribe. Um, This would just really help us grow our platform as we dream about reaching more people. All right, guys, so let's get started and dive into my episode with Drew. Today, we are actually recording on April 2nd. 2019 and today is our one year Waco anniversary so we've officially lived in Waco for a year so I feel like this is a good podcast to celebrate that day so welcome Drew thank you congratulations I know it feels like a lifetime and like went by super fast all at the same time (laughs) but we are so glad to be here Um, Antioch was a huge reason that we moved to Waco Um, so it's been a blessing to be in the community and just I don't know I feel like we've really gotten new tools and relationships over this past year that we've been missing out on for a while. Um, We are recording live and in person. Usually I do these over the phone, but I love having in-person interviews and Kindle's here today too. Maybe I'll make them chime in for a little bit. You want to say hi? Hi. (laughs) All right. So Drew, why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are, your story, what you do, and we are talking about your book today. I didn't even introduce it in the intro, but The Gospel According to Culture, Understanding How the Gospel is Different from Secular Humanism and Cultural Christianity. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a blast to be here. I actually live about four blocks away, and I met Kendall shortly after you guys moved here at the park when we were there with our kids. Uh, My wife and I, um, she is from Australia and I'm from Kansas City. I told you, I knew she had an accent. You can't, (laughs) most people can't spot it. She moved here. I was like, where is she from? He was like, here. I was like, no, she has an accent. No, she grew up in Australia (laughs) and we we met at church. And so I've been here since 2001. So I am on my, what, 18 year anniversary in Waco. Wow. Um, She's been here about 11 years, 12 years, something like that. And so I've been on staff at Antioch Community Church here in town since I was in college. And started working there and done a ton of different stuff in ministry, student ministry, worked internationally, um, pastoral ministry, working with U.S. churches. So I had a pretty wide variety of it and 
love getting to do what I do. Uh, her parents and my parents both followed us here. Oh, wow. Which has been really fun. Yeah. So we all live like a mile away from each other. And we have four kids. My oldest is eight. My youngest is two and a half. Um, and it's a blast. They keep us busy. Uh, but we love getting to do yeah. it. <laughs> Our son actually the other day said, hey, mom. Or we asked him what he wanted to do. And he said, uh, I want to hang out with that Mr. Drew and all his We're kids. We're really cool. <laughs> I was like, how do you remember this stuff? Like, it just blows my mind what he remembers. Because, I mean, it's probably months and months ago since you've been at I the know. park. So I don't know how. We had a great time. He remembered. Though. Yeah. He remembers everything, though. So I'm not. I shouldn't be surprised that he remembered that. But um, I, let's start with a little bit more about your testimony, how you came to know Jesus. And then, I don't know. I want to know more about your ministry and how you got here. Great. I grew up in a Christian home. So my dad is a pastor and was a pastor um, all through my childhood at a pretty large church. Mm-hmm. He was on staff, um, pretty prominent church in the Kansas City area. And I, you know, super grateful for my my family, super grateful for my church background. I would say for me, though, I had a lot of spiritual experiences and I grew up totally surrounded by Christian culture. I, I genuinely wanted to follow God in my heart. So it wasn't a, it was real, like it wasn't right. just some fake thing, but at the same time, I would say I wasn't fully wholeheartedly, like God wasn't on the throne. It was still mostly me. Yeah. And so high school, probably a pretty common testimony for a lot of us who grew up in the church is one foot in trying to follow God, one foot trying to fit in with the world around me and just, you know, back and forth exploring what that looked like. There was this tension inside of Mm -hmm. me. And I think what people would have seen from me in the church environment was different than what friends at high school saw from me. And I know that probably is a lot of us and how we grew up. But it was my first year of college. I came to Waco. I had a choice between a school in Chicago and Baylor. Um, the weather played a really prominent role in my decision, and I've been grateful for that ever since. <laughs> that would play a big role in our decision. No too. offense, all you <laughs> Chicagoans who might listen in. Love your city as well, but just thankful. So cold. Thankful for this winter that I was down here. And yeah. so um, came down here, and I got invited to go to a small group at church. It was not nothing like dramatic about it. It was actually really mundane. Something I've been telling people a lot as I teach on the topic of discipleship is that mundane things change the world. Mm. It's faithfulness over time and the boring that brings about the lasting change. And that's me. I'd had a lot of cool church experiences that I'm grateful for. They're not bad. I'm super thankful for the mission trips and the church camps. But I needed some people that were um, peers that challenged me in my own walk with God. So about six months, I was in this small group and nothing looked different in my life. I was still doing all the stuff. Um, that I was doing before, uh, you know, nothing too crazy. It's just on a heart level, I was living for the world yeah. and got invited to go on a trip and God just got a hold of my heart on that trip. Uh, looking back on it, I, I would say I lived the life of a disciple where like Jesus was number one for me for a week and none of the two foot, you know, one foot where one place, one foot the other. It was like all in, I want to follow Jesus for a week. And I got a taste of what kingdom living can look mm-hmm. like, however imperfect this side of heaven. So I came back and it was, I don't know if you or anybody listening, you can resonate with, there's like this fork in the road and I could see it. I was like, I just knew I either come back and I make changes or I keep doing life as before and I'll have a really cool mission trip high for like two weeks and then I'll be right back where I was. And that had been so much part of my story. I used to keep track of how long my mission trip highs lasted. So, and I would like time them, you know, and I could, if I could get past a week or two, I was like, all right, that was a good one, you know, good conference. Um, But I thought, no, something has to change here. And so for the first time I'd say in my life, I had just really deep accountability, investment, mentoring, discipleship with some guys. And for actually for the first couple of months, uh, we would hang out every single night to just challenge each other. And 
it wasn't some weird legalistic thing. It's just what I needed and mm-hmm. what they needed. And you know, that set in motion something that is why I'm here today. Um, so I feel like with your story, you've seen this change that you're writing about in this book over that course, especially growing up in the church. I feel like you probably have even more of an inside look of what that looks like. So what made you write this book in particular? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. For me, I feel like in a lot of ways, it's my story. And that's even in the introduction. I talk a little bit about mm-hmm. that. But I I felt this change, but I didn't have words for it. And so, you know, I would hear different talks from different people on kind of whether it was the cultural Christian voices, as I termed them in right. the book, um, where it's these messages basically telling us we need to go back how things used to be and the world's falling apart. Then I hear these other voices that are more secular or humanistic that were challenging the church in different areas. And it's like, I would find myself agreeing and disagreeing with them, but I could never put words to it. So it felt like there was this internal tension and I was feeling something changing, feeling something shifting, feeling myself agreeing even with different stuff, but something still didn't quite feel right. Yeah. I've been there too. And I, before we go any further, I want to kind of break down some of the words and languages used Um, So people just know what we're talking about. So if you would just quickly break down what cultural Christianity is, um, because I don't think I would have really known how to even put that definition to it before or put that word to the definition before and then humanism definition as well. And then obviously you have to read the book (laughs) to really break down all of it, but just kind of that tension that we're living in, because I feel the same way. And I'll get more into that, too, as you describe that. So these definitions are not technical. If you want to Google it, you can (laughs) find something a little more technical, but I just try to capture it maybe in a concise way that we can all wrap our minds around. So what I consider cultural Christianity to be is seeking to behave according to God's commands or at least looking like it. Mm -hmm. So you are looking like you're following God or moral living as seen in the Bible. Humanism is this concept of being true to yourself, good to others, and doing it based on the power within you. So these are two different perspectives. And then in the book, I'll go on and contrast, what's what do I see as a gospel or a kingdom worldview? And how does that look really different than those two? Yeah, I've definitely felt the tension. And like, even when I was reading your book, I was like, oh, wow, yeah, I have like slipped up in these areas of, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's such a hard line to walk because you're like, yes, I agree but it's not the full truth. That's what I think it all comes down to. Like, yes, there's bits and pieces, but it's still not the full truth. I love what you talked about in the book of how we had this kind of pendulum and it was at one height of living this like Christian life looking a certain way, but it's swinging too far into this. What was it? Do you remember? Yeah, I think, well, how I would describe it. And this you know, gets back to that original uh-huh. question about what motivated me here is I would feel this thing inside of my own soul mm-hmm. where on the one hand, I saw a lot of the negative side of the hypocrisy um, in the church, um, that, you know, all these different things where I was like, man, this isn't, we're not living who God's called us to be. We're not actually about the kingdom stuff. It's more cultural at a lot yeah. of times than it even is Christian. And then, but then what I'm seeing is people were starting to swing the other way where it's, I agree with them. Like, let's be more authentic or let's mm-hmm. make sure we really take care of the world around us and engage our communities and amen, you know, right. wholehearted amen. Uh, but we're taking it too far from my perspective, we're actually starting to lose the gospel. And I feel this swing internally inside of my own soul. Yeah. It's been going on. I mean, ever since, you know, I started really trying to walk with God. And and that's that's what got me to this point of, I, I feel like maybe I'm just slow. I've been thinking about this forever, but it was like finally within the last year or two, I finally started getting some words for it. Yeah. And in my own research, I was like, okay, I think I'm capturing maybe a little bit more. Hopefully you guys can all be the judge, yeah. but what's going on inside of all of us. And I, and I, in talking with people, and part of my role is I get to visit a ton of U.S. churches. Mm-hmm. 
we actually, um, as a family, spent eight weeks. We bought a motorhome, which wow. we just resold, <laughs> and we traveled and visited churches this fall. Um, we homeschool our kids. And so we're all over America, different regions. We made it all the way up to Boston at our far point and um, came back down through Florida. Um, it was so interesting, though, because I'm talking to Christians, and the same thing that I was intuitively feeling and seeing in our church here, I worked with college ministry for years, so talking with tons of people, kind of my same generation and younger, uh, seeing this repeated all over the country. And I was like, all right, this is actually a bigger trend than just maybe my little vantage point. Yeah. And so trying to find what's some common language we can all use to actually talk about this so that we can take it. And there is a lot of good, you know, and that's the hard thing about these worldviews is I agree with like 80, 90% of it. It's just yeah. the core of it is the problem. So I can agree with you on the outcome. Like I think all three worldviews would say Christians have an obligation to care for the poor, but the mm-hmm. path we traveled to get to that point was really different. And so we can find ourselves agreeing on something, but we're coming at it from a totally different place. And if we're not careful, eventually we lose sight of what I feel for me, the foundation of everything is Jesus and the gospel. One of the things that I loved, I think I sent it to Kendall as soon as I read it was, um, well, I think a huge trendy thing right now is authenticity and like being vulnerable. And I've talked about it a couple times on the podcast, but something that finally started to like resonate with me and like be like, oh, but there's so much more is like this curated imperfection that people are starting to live and then they talk about well I'm just like that or like I can't really fix it and choosing to like live in a sin or to live in their mess instead of saying like okay Jesus can fix this and if I put my trust in him like I can see a difference and that's where true change comes the quote was living authentically in your sin cannot bring life And I was like, that is so true. Like, yes, we can be authentic with our sin, but it's you still have to bring it to Jesus and like put in the work of changing too. like you can't just say, well, this is just how I am and let it be. We had, you know, that authentic thing, like people are moral and I'm like, okay, yeah, we are a moral nation in the sense like everyone has these different morals. And you talked about like Facebook arguments, something that I'm like, I just uh, no one can so annoying. No, <laughs> right? Uh, it's so frustrating, but it's we do have these morals we're trying to live up to. So you state our nation is intensely moral, even fundamentalist, but we disagree on what is right. The competing versions of morality cause us to misdiagnose our culture. Humanists are equally as rigid as their Christian neighbors, just with different focus. What do you mean by that? Great. So there's two things here. I'm talking about authenticity, but then also talking about morality. Mm-hmm. And I'll start with morality. Humanism has a very defined ethic. And the ethic is ultimately, you know, back to that definition earlier, it's being true to yourself and being good to others. Um, This is maybe a little bit of giving everything away. But part of the problem is I don't think it's possible to be both of those two things ultimately. And at the same time, our nation is really moral. Like there's a whole host of things that if you say or post you're toast. I mean, you're gone. Like, I didn't mean to rhyme, but you are completely, (laughs) you know, uh, you will be kicked out of the public square really quickly. And the illustration I used in the book was actually describing our climate today um, with the moral majority, Mm -hmm. which was more of a Christian morality back in the 1980s, where, um, you know, you just think people would look at different television commercials, they would analyze um, the statements business leaders would make, and they would use that to boycott, to blackmail people, or to maybe not blackmail, but to kick them out, like not give them a, a platform anymore. Same tactics. I mean, exactly what's going on today. And, you know, it's not that I even disagree with a lot most everything that's happening. I'm like, yeah, let's let's stand against injustice. I'm wholehearted. Yeah. But 
also recognizing we've got a pretty rigid morality in our nation. I was talking with somebody um, just about the book and they, they brought up this idea of, well, aren't we just talking about universal morality? And if you were to go talk to like a sociologist or a philosopher, they would tell you there's no such thing as that. Um, that's a myth. There's morality comes from somewhere. Yeah. And I think that's one of the challenges with this. It makes it harder to spot is we don't actually view these belief systems as belief systems. So we kind of view there's like the Christian worldview and then there's this neutral worldview. And this neutral worldview for a lot of people, we actually view that as being um, a higher authority even than the Christian worldview. But there's no neutral worldview. That doesn't exist. There's other forms. Yeah. So you could have humanistic. There's, you know, there's other ones out there as well. It's certainly not the only one. I feel I like believe- all you have to do is travel yeah, exactly. Elsewhere outside the United States to see that it's not true. And I have so many thoughts on everything, especially as having a history of being a missionary and living in a different culture. I think that was probably one of my hardest things moving back to the United States is just how to balance like that experience with what was going on in the church. And I hear it from missionaries all the time that say like the climate in the U.S. is changing so, so rapidly and quickly, um, even from just 10 years ago. Um, but yeah, it's. What one thing that I loved about your book is that I'm a mom of a four year old and a three year old. And I've noticed that my vocabulary and just what I can grasp my mental load really is like not what it used to be. And so I love that I could read the book and understand it very easily and quickly. It's still a deep subject, but it was easy to read and grasp. And I really appreciated that because it was something that I needed to hear and I didn't have the language for it. And I feel much more equipped after reading it to be able to put words to things that I've been feeling. So I had told you before, I was like, sometimes I read books. I haven't even finished them because I can only digest like one paragraph at a time to really understand it. But this was just very well laid out. So glad to hear you say that. Yes. That was a lot of my goal in writing. You know, if you're if you're a student of this kind of stuff, I mean, the book is, there's nothing new, I don't think. Right. Uh, it's just taking a lot of the arguments that have been, some of these are hundreds of years old, even like They've been going on for a long time. There's a ton of research and um, debates back and forth between different theologians or different um, people in secular society. Uh, but my problem, what I was noticing, and this it's, gets back to why I wrote, is most of us live so unaware of that. So we're deeply affected yeah, sure. by things that philosophers or others were teaching hundreds of years ago that for a long time, it was like completely confined to academia and yeah. a very select group of people talked about this kind of thing. And yet what I'm seeing happen is those same belief systems are now mainstream where I could go randomly talk to somebody at the park and they're going to tell me and spit back to me a philosophy that a hundred years ago was brand new. And we're totally unaware. We don't know it. We don't have the yeah. language for it. We don't, we haven't studied it. And so that was, I'm, I'm super thankful to hear you say that because that's the heart behind the book is trying to create something that um, is faithful to the the research and hopefully to the scripture. Yeah. Um, but at the same time is translatable for people like me, (laughs) like everybody else who uh, don't always have the time to do all the research. I think a huge part of that too is like after some of our life experiences got almost hurt and disconnected from academia conversations that I just chose not to pursue it and chose other paths that probably were not always the best as far as pursuing my faith. But I mean, part of it was just like after living in the Amazon, I think if we've made the gospel so hard to understand that this indigenous person who doesn't even have a a written language could understand it, like where have we gone wrong? Absolutely. So the gospel is not as hard and complicated as we make it. And so I just always kind of have that in my mind. Like if 
were talking about this, but I couldn't go talk to this with an indigenous person in the Amazon. There's something wrong here. This conversation for people who've listened is probably so different than anything that we've talked about on the podcast, which is good. And I enjoy. And one of my passions behind this is like, I am for people dreaming and like realizing they have passions maybe they didn't have before, but it doesn't necessarily look like doing something big. It just could be even like my dream of like raising my kids to be disciples of Jesus. Like that is a dream and I want to do it. And so kind of taking the name of it and making it not seem so scary. But I also want to encourage people like it's not just about, oh, follow whatever is inside you. You still have to bring Jesus into it and bring God into it and see dream with him. First, before I ask you my next question, I need you to define Maslow's hierarchy of needs because I don't think I had heard about it before reading the book. So for anyone who hasn't heard of that, explain what it is real quick. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a theory on human fulfillment. And I I put in there, I in college, I was a business major. And I think I had like four or five different classes all teach me the exact same thing. So it's really influential <laughs> and you see it everywhere. Uh, if, you, if you're not familiar with the terminology, but what he did is he, he illustrated it with a pyramid and said, everybody has this basic level of need, which would be food, shelter, that kind of stuff. And then you have, if those are taken care of, then you're able to go to the next level, which is, you know, things like belonging and fulfillment. And then at the top of his pyramid, he had this concept of self-actualization. And that's something that if you're not familiar with that term, you see it everywhere in our society today. Mm -hmm. It's the reason why people would quit a high paying job and go open a coffee shop or um, go try to become an artist. Basically, it's this concept of like, what's that thing inside of you, your wiring that you connect with, that's your true self that just frees you to run and thrive in this life. And you're trying to self-actualize. And that's what he would see as you progress through these layers. But that's the pinnacle of human achievement is if we get to that point, we self-actualize. That's where we have a rich life. And he was actually considered a humanist scholar. I think it was the 1950s or 60s. But he would be, be considered a preeminent humanist scholar in his generation. And that philosophy, which, again, goes back to there's a lot I agree with. But that philosophy underpins a ton of what we, do, we would even consider to be the good life in our modern era, which I think is actually yeah. pretty different than if we could go back in time a hundred years ago, what they would consider to be a good life yeah. has changed. And he's not the only one, you know, there's other voices as well that his is just pretty prominent. And I imagine a lot of us picked it up somewhere along the way. So you mentioned Maslow's hierarchy of needs and its humanist foundations. In today's popular sermons, we get into like spiritual gifts, individual calling and dreams. How has this similarity changed many Christians view of God's calling on their life? I think the danger even the word humanism is human. That's the core of it. And so the danger we get into is we put ourselves at the center of our life. God loves you. I Please, I hope nobody hears this. God puts dreams in your life. God made right. you unique. He made you with purpose. I 100% affirm that. I actually think a strong Christian theology is we're made in the image of God. What higher compliment could we put mm -hmm. on a person than that? It's amazing. You know, the creativity God's put inside of us. But the danger is where we want to become God ourselves. And if you read your Bible in Genesis 3, I mean, that's the first sin ultimately is Adam and Eve wanting to become God, wanting to take the place of God, wanting to be on the throne of their own life. And humanism is doing that pretty straight up, you know, and that's what scares me a little bit is I see people taking concepts that I agree with, um, whether it's dreaming with God or understanding your gifts or even this idea of calling. I mean, all those, I probably taught on all those things. So I'm not against any of them. Right. But if you view it through a self-focused lens, it gets really dangerous. You're putting this, yeah. you know, pretty sounding Christian veneer on selfishness. And at the core of my faith, I'm crucified with Christ. 
it's not I who live any longer, but it's him living through me. That's that's who I am. Mm -hmm. If I claim to follow Jesus, I'm a disciple of him first and foremost. I'm dead. You know, uh, I have to take up my cross and follow him. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Like we have to take that really seriously. And so it doesn't mean the dreams go away. It doesn't mean your personality go away. It just those right. things become redeemed and your life's no longer spent on you. And there's this paradox of the kingdom that I think is such a big deal for us, um, especially if you're, you know, I'm in my mid thirties and if you're my age or younger, actually, this is universal, um, <laughs> such a big deal for us is I have to, by faith, recognize that it's in the death and resurrection of Jesus that I find fulfillment, not in me becoming my best self by my own efforts. I mean, that's the bottom line. So in that there's, you know, take marriage or take anything else. Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to serve? Are you willing to lay down your life for Jesus and for other people? And then by faith, do you trust that God is going to then give you everything that you need so that you can thrive? Or do you have to have control of your own life, control of the steering wheel, be in charge of your dreams. Do you get to decide what a thriving life looks like? And your life is spent chasing after what you want. By very definition, that's self-focused. And that's not the gospel. That's good. That's kind of where I wanted to like define kind of a line in the sand of like how I want my podcast to be different to people and encourage them versus like what a lot of podcasts or other platforms are kind of preaching right now. And for me, when I started listening, like they're encouraging at first, right? And you're like, yeah, I agree with this. I get it. But once you get a little bit deeper, you're like, this is not fulfilling. It does not bring life. And so how can I bring that to people and encourage them in a different way of like bringing the full gospel into it? Honestly, if I could, I'd probably read like all of page 115 and 116 in your book. I was just like, yes, this was kind of like language that I've been looking to put towards things. So, well, actually, can I read a little bit Please, of it? Please, go for okay. it. <laughs> I'm going to start with the personality quizzes part because I feel like that's such a huge trendy topic right now, um, <laughs> which we talk a lot about the Enneagram on the podcast anyway. Um, so Kendall always laughs. He's like, do you want another personality quiz? He hates it. <laughs> I took a personality quiz one time. I was on the phone with somebody and just kind of like mindlessly scrolling on the internet and it popped back. It was like your personality in medieval times and mine was the black knight. I was like, yikes. This is, I feel like I, I need professional help or something. Um, so it says personality quizzes have rapidly proliferated across the internet in recent years, largely because we all seek to better understand ourselves, presumably So we then might find our path to self-actualizing. This phenomenon is a recent development in Houston in human history. A massive effort to pursue self-expression and fulfillment dominates our culture. Most popular advice encourages us to take these steps. Don't get trapped doing something you don't love. Go chase your dream. For some, the emphasis is overwhelming. Many people live immobilized by the countless opportunities. Perhaps the skyrocketing anxiety rates have something to do with our obsession and with our ability to self-actualize, to find self-fulfillment. We fear that in committing to one path, we might miss another, which might even lead to greater flourishing. We live as products of an affluent age, freeing us to dream beyond living day-to-day to question life's purpose. Maslow's philosophy provides the goal for our pursuit, but is it leading to great fulfillment? I believe our self-centered obsession actually blocks us from the life we seek. That was really good. <laughs> and I Thank liked you. it. So I was like, I just want to share it. What were your thoughts when writing that passage? I I find at the core, if my life is spent focused on me, there's no fulfillment there. Yeah. It's this lie, maybe the oldest lie that we all believe is that I can find life in myself. And I would say what the gospel teaches me is that I find life in God and God alone. And the model that he gave us is laying down his life. 
And I see people today and it's they're chasing after. It's like they want to be fulfilled and they're anxious trying to be fulfilled. Yeah. I mean, do we not realize there's a problem there? And at what point I just look at our society and we're affluent, but I, are we rich? Do we really have what we're chasing after? Are people really happy? I mean, look at loneliness rates. There's a lot of studies out there. You can find them. I have some in the book, loneliness rates, anxiety rates. And there's a lot for that. I'm, I'm not trying to claim this is the only reason it's this is. Um, but I think it is a part of it is we're surrounded by options that tell us we're going to be happy. And we spend our lives chasing after our own happiness and it doesn't make us happy. Like yeah. at what point do we stop and say this isn't working? And I find the people that I know that are the most content are the ones who give their life away. Yeah, They're the ones who serve others. They're the ones who don't focus on themselves so much, who aren't so you know crazed with trying to reach some standard and having, like you're talking about this curated life, whatever that could yeah. look like one way or the other. And instead- making it about, it's not about me. And that's so freeing. That's the power of the gospel message. And what I found is when I serve, that's where I actually find God. And that's where I find fulfillment. And I can't tell you how many times it's the choice to say, yeah, it's just not going to be my dream. I'm going to go serve somebody else's dream. I'm going to go take Mm -hmm. care of the person in front of me. That's actually what unlocks the very things God's put in my own heart. There's been plenty of times, I think giftings inside of me, it wasn't through a quiz. It was because there was a need. Mm -hmm. And so I'd go meet the need. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wow, I'm good at that. I want to learn how to do that more. And that's... I liked your uh, learning to play the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was so all, I always, I had this thing where for a long time, I all, especially when I was in my 20s, but I still pray and hope I, I do this. It was like, whatever the need was, I'd do it. And I would never use my gifting as an excuse not to do something. Yeah. And so um, a lot of times that served me really well. I never thought of myself as a public speaker, but I actually really enjoy preaching. Never thought of myself as a writer, um, but there was a need to help edit some manuals and other people's books. And I got into it and I thought, wow, I really enjoy doing this. Like, I think it could be helpful for people. Um, so those are the success stories, but there's also a lot of fail stories in that. And one of them was I was in a life group or a small group and we needed a worship leader. Uh, this was, now I tend to use like an iPod or something, but for whatever reason back then, I always did it live. And so I thought, well, I can just teach myself to play guitar and I'll sing. And it was so bad. <laughs> you know? And so I, I, it, that lasted for like a couple of weeks. And I, mean, I probably have a decent voice, but I just couldn't keep a beat very well on the guitar. And it's like, nobody's worshiping in this group right now. But the, the bonus was uh, somebody who was a good worship leader, I think, finally got so frustrated with me that they offered to leave. And so I motivated them. But I love it. <laughs> I look at that though, and I don't have any regrets. It's, yeah. you know, you just, at the end of the day, if you're going to go wrong, I would much rather go wrong caring for somebody else than trying to be happy myself and like serving myself. And in this weird paradox, like that, this is the paradox of the kingdom. It's in death, we find life. Mm-hmm. It's in serving, we find fulfillment. You know, it's, it's this upside down nature of following Jesus that when my life's not about me, it actually frees me to become me who God created me to be. Yeah, and sure. that's a faith statement. You know, and it's very contrary to the world that we see around us. So there's so many dreams and giftings God's put on each person. And I, I use all the personality. I've probably done all of them. Um, I actually test my, like, I, I use them because I want to help people in ministry. So I'll be the guinea pig a lot of times. Um, if you can think of one, I've probably done it. All those things are great. That They're not the issue. The issue is what's your motivation? Yeah. Are you doing that kind of stuff so that you can be somebody? And I think the gospel-centered view is that in Jesus, you already are somebody. You have nothing to prove. Hmm. You are secure. Actually, if we, we believe the Bible in Roman 8 to be true, you are an adopted son or daughter of God. That makes you royalty. So what do you have to prove? Like, why do we feel the need to have this perfectly curated life of self-actualization and chasing our dreams so that we feel good about ourselves? Instead, yeah. you are secure. If you know God, 
you're secure. You have a really rich identity that actually frees you to take all those talents, all those dreams, all those gifts that God's put inside of you and go serve somebody else. And that's where you're going to find your path to fulfillment Mm -hmm. is by laying down your life. There's even been things in my life that I'm like, I never expected this that God's used in gifts. And I've, yeah, one of them being photography, like literally had someone give me a camera just because they told me Kendall didn't take enough pictures. And so gave me one and he taught me and then it ended up being something that I really loved and enjoyed. But something is like I truly saw as a gift from God because it wasn't anything that I sought or pursued. And so I've always said like whatever Whenever I can give back with this gift, like I want to serve people that way. So one of them being like I got to go last November to photograph instructor training for Revelation Wellness. And so it was such a like honor and joy. Like I was crying behind the lens, capturing other people's like freedom stories to finding um, joy in Christ that I was like, man, this is such a blessing that God's given me this to give back to other people. But yeah, I've even found myself. I'm just going to, we're going to have confession time when they're asking for volunteers at church for the children's ministry. And I'm like, nope, that is not for me. And slowly but surely, God's like convicting me to, uh, yeah, serve, you know. I want to backtrack just a little bit to living authentically and incorporating that with your dreams, your passions, your callings. It's great. Very linked together. And this is a good, if you're still trying to get your brain around the topic, Uh, I think it's a great illustration because in the realm of cultural Christianity, it's really focused on behavior and appearances. And what happened is a lot of people were not living authentically. So I think we all struggle with this at one level. We see ourselves, um, you know, we we put up the good Christian face, but then who we really are is different. And so I'm really thankful. I'm really thankful for the movement to say, let's get authentic. And I found that's where there's so much freedom in my own heart, in my own life is transparency and authenticity. What I see that concerns me today, though, is kind of on this whole theme of selfishness or a self-focused life is that authenticity is saying, I just am who I am and that's never going to change. And there's some elements of that that are fine. Like I am not a good worship leader. I'm probably never (laughs) going to be a worship leader. I'm cool with that. You know, I love to worship, but that's just not my gift. And I'm okay with that. But when it comes to my character, I don't see that as a biblical thing and Uh, maybe a way of looking at it is if I'm a self-focused, selfish person, me being more authentic in that's not really going to help anybody. I mean, think about that for a second. Like a more authentic selfishness is no improvement. (laughs) You know, maybe it's better than lying about it, but you're still selfish. Like that's the root issue here is that you're selfish. And until we deal with that, authenticity doesn't get you that far. Authenticity gets you to the plate to say, I got to work on this, but it doesn't change you. And that's, I think, so much of where the problem comes in is we got to recognize Jesus wants to transform us from the inside out. And that's what allows us to serve others. That's what allows us to live the dreams he's put on our heart. But it has to be him. and It has to be the the core of the gospel message of new life in Jesus. That's where everything takes place. And at least for me as a Christian, if I don't get that really clear, I'm going to end up chasing somebody else's message that's not going to lead me into the life God has for me. Yeah, that's good. Moving on, I really wanted to touch on this before the end of the podcast. Um, You take a different approach to social justice in the book by highlighting the greatest injustice. I want to touch on the social justice because I've seen a huge wave of people being passionate about this, especially people around my age. But I also think it can get dangerous without it being like the full gospel picture. It's not bad. It's good. We want these. We want to fight against these things like racism, misogyny, human trafficking, all these different things. But even 
And for me, I can tell that there's something missing in that fight. So what is the greatest injustice and how does all social justice stem from an understanding of it? Great. Yeah, I to be clear, I am right there with everybody who's saying, I want to stand against all those things as well. And I hope my life reflects that. What concerns me, though, is how if I am adapting a secular humanistic or just kind of modern viewpoint to all of that, it's going to look really different if that's based in a love for Jesus and the gospel. My conviction spiritually is that the only way we have lasting justice on this earth is through a heart transformation that comes through the message of Jesus. The problem, I've traveled to a lot of different countries, been to multiple war zones, um, a lot of places of some of the deepest poverty on earth. So I've seen it. I've been there. And I am convinced that, yes, there's a lot of good we can do. But if the human heart doesn't change, it's a losing battle always. That's where the problem is. The problem is inside of every single one of us is this thing called sin. And it is, you know, it's expressed. It could be expressed in racism. It could be expressed in anger. It could be expressed in misogyny. There's so many different expressions of sin that are destructive. And until that gets dealt with, you know, social programs are good. We need them. I gladly would join with anybody to help yeah. make those things happen but we need jesus to think transform what it gets us down to is like just putting a band-aid over a problem and not the root issue which we've talked about um, at church recently and on my podcast just that even for ourselves when we have sin in our own lives and we can't it's almost like a representation of behavior modification on the outside like it would be for us just socially and across the world, you know? Um, and so like, yeah, that bandaid of it, but not getting down to the root problem. So it looks good for a little bit, but then as time goes on, it doesn't actually change. And then we're just back to where we were, but all good stuff. I mean, some, one of the points that you hit on in the book that really hit me was the man who <laughs> said he, there was a missionary sharing the gospel with this man. And he asked, the missionary, how long he had known about the gospel and why he hadn't shared it with them. And so then he starts thinking about all the people in his life and his family for years and years that had never heard this message and needed to hear it. There really are no words for that. Like that really hit me hard of like, wow, we are really missing the mark if we're not dealing with this great social injustice of knowing who Jesus is. So what is your advice to the church about the unavoidable tension between the gospel and culture? Well, I think it starts, and this kind of goes back into the injustice, is we have to really resolve in our own hearts, do we believe the message of Jesus, the core message of Jesus? I would say, and I I put this in the book, that a humanistic worldview that I think is the, the background ethic of our nation today, God is tolerated. It's not anti God, um, but God has been demoted to being a commodity. He's not our authority. God's an option. He's an add-on to the human experience, not the core of it. And that's something we've got to resolve. Because if I believe at the end of the day, the only place there's life is found in God and found specifically through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and new life in him. If that's my conviction, that shapes everything else, everything else that I believe, because that drives me. And that's the only way there's going to be life. And that it was to go even talk about injustice or the greatest injustice in the world. That's the message that everybody needs to know. If that's really true, if that if the gospel message is really true, then how could we ever, you know, it just blows my mind. Like, how could I not take that to everybody? How could that not be my leading thing? And it's the two hands of the gospel is what we talk about. And if the gospel message is true, it is going to upend all these systems of injustice, whether that's the unconscious bias or racism that we see that's holding so many people back or cycles of poverty. I mean, there's so many deep-seated issues in our world, but I believe that starts with Jesus transforming the human heart. And at the same time, 
addressing all those other things. Yeah, for sure. And I think in the same way for us as churches, we've got to put the gospel first and foremost. And I think for me, even as a person, I feel pressure. It, you know, I mean, all this stuff yeah. we're talking about today, like it, it's a wrestle inside of my own yeah. soul. It's so easy to say, uh, you know, just to be vulnerable, even writing this book, it's like, am I doing this because I want to write a book and self-actualize or because I want to help people? You know, like even writing about it, I feel the pressure inside of me. And that's a battle. I've got to fight that in prayer. Like, God, I truly just want this to be yeah. for you and your purposes. And I enjoy doing it, but I don't want it to be about me. And I think in the same way, you know, whether it's serving others, I think a great, you hit you hit it earlier, but a, a litmus test is, are you willing to serve uh, in an area outside of your gifting or does it have to be on your terms always? Yeah. Are you willing to look at what the greatest need is and vulnerably say, I'll do something that I'm not very good at because that's what somebody else needs? Are we doing that? Or is everything always on our terms and the boundaries and the self-care that we feel like we need to be this thriving human being? And it all points back, though, if if I'm secure in Jesus, if that is what shapes me more than everything else, if that is the core of my identity, if he is ultimately the authority, then a lot of this stuff's pretty straightforward and simple. The problem is the noise. The problem is the message of the world yeah. around us. The gospel's not that confusing. It's the messages we are absorbing. And I find... Uh, when it comes to cultural stuff, there's a guy named Andy Crouch wrote a book called Culture Making that it's a little deeper read, but it's great. And he had this quote that's really stuck with me that the only way to change a culture is to create more of it. So we can sit there and complain about things all we want, but that doesn't really change anything. Yeah. But it's when we demonstrate it and we create a new culture, that's what brings about a lasting change. So how do we respond to this is we contend for a kingdom culture together. And we say, like, I really want to take seriously the, the teaching of Jesus and I want to live connected to him. I want to be about what he's about, which will mean justice, which will mean releasing people to thrive in their giftings and dreams. But he's the center, not us. That's yeah. the crucial distinction here. And if we do that, we actually create an alternative. I, I'm the, the world's culture, humanism or cultural Christianity, they're broken. They don't work. And I put this, that cultural Christianity taught us to cover up our sin. Mm. Humanism tries to teach us that there is no sin and Jesus takes away our sin. And yeah. if that's really clear and we create a culture around that, the other things aren't going to work because they're based on the power within us. And there is, God's put so much on you, but at the end of the day, it's not going to be enough without him transforming you. And that's, that's you know, as, as a pastor, I'm not worried at one level about the world around us because I believe light always shines in darkness, but I am worried for myself. I am worried yeah. for so much of a, of how we just buy into these messages that are antithetical to the gospel that are robbing, I think, uh, at least some of the life that God has for us. Yeah. For me, it was definitely like eye-opening and shed light on areas in my own life. I'm like, wow, I was believing things that I didn't even realize I was believing or like that I've just kind of absorbed. It's so easy when you have all these voices just, gosh, yelling at you almost every day, whether it's social media or, yeah mainly social media, like Facebook, Instagram, all these things telling you these things you should be or shouldn't be. But really, it's like we have to get down to the gospel and remembering that is our true identity. I personally have been challenged by this conversation and your book, and I pray that it's encouraging and challenging to people listening as well, because there's just there's so much more to what God has for us when we live in him. A couple of points you brought up. I'm like, so much of it just comes down to like being obedient to what he's called us to do. And we don't always like what he's called us to do, but I would much rather live in obedience than disobedience. Are there any other final thoughts that you'd like to share with my listeners? I think one last thing that I think is really significant is the importance of community yeah. when it comes to all of this. A sociologist would tell you that 
we are all shaped by culture more than we shape culture in return. Or another way of saying mm-hmm. that, you know, it's really trendy to say, let's go change the world. In reality, the world is changing you more than you're yeah. changing the world. And that's how human beings operate. There's no such thing as neutral culture. And so for me, what I found, and I think this is the power of the church and the body of Christ, is that when I'm together with other believers, we are creating a new culture. We're living within a kingdom culture. It's imperfect. That's what makes it really hard is I'm still bringing my junk. And, uh, you know, I really empathize with, I know there's a lot of hard situations in church life or in Christian community. And I've had a lot of those myself. Mm -hmm. But ultimately what I know is that that's my one place of safety is I've got to walk with other people and have people around me where we say, let's really take seriously the the gospel and the person of Jesus and his lifestyle. And as best we can, by his power and by his grace, live that way. And that ends up becoming a powerful witness. But it also is what gives me the power inside of how do, how do we resist this incredible tide that's surrounding us that is the surrounding culture. And, you know, and I, I the premise of my book is that the big influence today is humanism. 100 years from now, it's going to be something else. This is age old. This has been going on yeah. um, since the New Testament. But what concerns me a ton that I see with a lot of people is this deconstructed individualistic faith where we treat our faith like a spiritual Amazon, you know, that we get to customize and order on our terms and our time. Yeah. And it's all about us. And that's where this takes us is it's, again, it's a commodity. And if you do that, guaranteed, you're going to ultimately look like the world because what it is, is it's about you and it's about the messages of the world around yeah. us. And we're just chasing after what we think is fulfillment yeah. and God is a means to an end. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that people are going to like, I'll walk away from the Lord because they do that. I'm just saying we're, we're not going to reflect a kingdom culture. We're going to reflect whatever the dominant culture is around us. And we need each other. We need to be connected to the body. So if you're listening to this and you're in a tough church situation. I'm not, you know, that pastorally, there's so many angles to it, but I would just challenge where are you connected with other believers where you guys are really seeking to live a kingdom culture together? Because if you're not, if you allow yourself to get isolated, I don't know that it's possible. I mean, God can work miracles, but you will end up getting affected by whatever the surrounding culture is that you live in will end up affecting you in ways that you probably don't want it to. But if you have people that spur you on to Jesus, that's where we overcome. And that's what the world so desperately wants Mm -hmm. is I'm still convinced that Jesus is the hope for all mankind. And when we live that together, we demonstrate it to the world around us. And there's so many people out there who crave it, who need it, who they've recognized that the power within them, whether it's cultural Christianity or humanism is not enough and they need help. And we have that answer. So let's live it together and be the light the world needs. Yeah, that's good. I like, I've seen several people in my own life kind of venture out into isolation. Heck, we've been in it before too. And it's a hard place to be in of just things creep in really slowly and change your mindset before you even know it, you know, and without having that accountability and someone walking with you, it can get hard to navigate those things for sure. Um, I always like to wrap up my episodes with two fun questions for my listeners. And those are, what are three things you're enjoying right now? And what are you reading? Great questions. (laughs) So three things I'm enjoying. That's a fun one. It is springtime here in Waco, Texas, and the That's weather beautiful. has been good except for the last two days. Right. It got cold again. <laughs> and I, my kids are at this awesome age where they're outside all the time. You might be able to hear them at your house because they <laughs> have this fort in the backyard and two of them are basically living in trees at this point. Oh, and so gosh. really enjoying- bring Ezra over because he's gotten into climbing trees just lately. have him hop the fence, yeah. come on over. Just send them over. Um, one day I walked outside and I had two daughters in a tree. One was reading, one was listening to audiobooks. And I was like, I love this. <laughs> oh, you know, so much yes. fun. So that's been a real blast. Uh, I do enjoy reading. I'll tell you what I'm reading here in a second. But that's uh, my own little getaway. And then something my wife and I, anytime we can go travel somewhere, 
you know, whether it's a night or something. So we've got something coming up soon just to get out of town and go do something fun. What I'm reading right now, I have a very eclectic reading list. And so the current book that is, this is like a way deeper dive if you want to do it. It's Uh called The Essentials of Christian Thought by Dr. Roger Olson. And he's a Baylor um, Truett professor. It's great. I mean, he's, you know, it's, it's a heady, um, but really good stuff. I've been reading a lot of N.T. Wright, and he's been a guy I've also been diving into the last couple months. Is Christian theologian based out of England. Again, great stuff. So I've, I actually made a resolution this year that I'm like maybe 80% on right now. I'm trying to do a book a week. Um, I'm doing okay. I'm like laughing. I'm like, my resolution was one a month. Hey, you know what? That's a great start. And you know start. what? I read my first one in a year. Don't. No <laughs> shame. Keep going. No shame in, re- in good stuff. Yeah, growing in- up, I loved to read. I was that kid that was like always reading. I feel like technology probably had a huge play in that of like getting me away from it. Also being like a mom. Children, really, we, I think, yeah. are probably the biggest reason. When we lived in the <laughs> Amazon. I read a lot, but that's because we didn't have you're in the, the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so I read a ton down there. And then anyway, just reading over the past couple of days, I was like, man, I really do like this. Like this has to be a cup a of coffee, habit. a book. You know, it's it's great. Uh, I, Kendall let me go to uh, Slow Rise after the kids had gone to bed. So I went and just sat, got some pizza and read and took notes and stuff. And I was like. This is really enjoyable. Yeah, it's, it's like a nice, this. especially if you're around people all day. It's actually good <laughs> just yeah. being around books. And yeah, no, I have, I have, I have been at the point where one a month would have been an audacious goal, and I've been slowly getting back in. So I was like, I'm going to challenge myself this year. How do you incorporate it, like, into your day? I I like to read in the evening, and I mean, a lot of it is I, I'm really wanting to minimize the amount of time I'm on my phone. Yeah, and I'm you know okay at that. But then on weekends as well, using that for downtime, and we don't watch a lot of TV. I'm not making some yeah. kind of moral statement. It's just not something we do a ton of. And so um, we just got our first TV okay. <laughs> last week. <laughs> so don't let it take away your book time. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, just reading some every day. I mean, that's the main thing. Even up, just a little yeah. bit. It adds up over time and just substituting, you know, 20 minutes of phone time a day, extrapolate that over a week or a month. And it's actually a lot of reading time. So, um, and I mean, I figure a lot of times I'm reading on my phone anyway, so let's read a book, something a little more substantial (laughs) that I've thought about in advance that I actually want to read rather than some random post somebody made. And, um, so that's, you know, I'm doing okay. So speaking of books and reading, where can my listeners find your book? That you can get it on Amazon and just search the gospel according to culture. um, And we'll post a link in the show notes too. There is a Kindle version. There's a paper, a hardback. Then you can also get it on christianbook.com. It's a little cheaper there. Um, and then you can buy it directly through the publisher, which is Clear Day Media Group. And you should be able to just Google Clear Day Media Group as well. And I think it might be a little cheaper there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for having me.